Hi, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Soapboxing with Corian. Today, we are going to be breaking down a topic that's pretty pretty close to my heart. I feel like it's something that I've been talking about for a while since I really got involved with soap operas on Twitter and, you know, that whole community. And I, I think it's about time, about time that, you know, everyone else had to, <laughs> to have their soapbox as well. So I'm really excited to hear from the panel today. Um, today, we have Ryan. Dylan, Rodrigo, and Bren joining me. And today's discussion is going to be on LGBTQ plus and soaps. How far have we really come in 2021? That is the main thesis statement that I want everyone to kind of keep in mind throughout this discussion. So I'm gonna pose the, the question today. In a world full of more performative LGBTQ plus support than ever, should our soaps be patting themselves on the back for the work they've done or not? There was an Entertainment Weekly story that came out around the time of Pride Month, basically just talking about soaps being a pioneer in the LGBT community, you know, for representation and media. And I want to know, Ryan, how did you feel when that article came out? You know, I thought it was nice to see some coverage. Unfortunately, it was very much a fluff piece because there was a lot of substantive couples and storylines that they could have referenced that were missing. Um, they obviously did not do a good job of, of really highlighting what is currently on our screens because if they did it, they would, they would see that there is a very big lacking void in LGBTQ representation despite the fact that the shows like to trot out their gays and their lesbians mm -hmm. and and their and their trans characters for you know psas um so i was i it was i was disappointed um surprised at the coverage but also disappointed in and how little actual research was done yeah i think it definitely felt more like a fluff piece than anything especially since so many of these couples they really had to reach back into the history books to to you know mention couples from canceled soap operas or couples from 15 to 20 years ago and it's like that's the the bigger issue should be like understanding that that's all that we have to hang on to you know and that's that's not a great place to be i want to throw this question to dylan um you know do soaps have a lot more work to do as far as lgbtq plus um representation or do you think that we're kind of like a good place and it's building up like what like what are your what are your thoughts on the current situation um i think unquestionably there's more work to be done and i think in order for that work to be done the powers that be need to make peace with the fact that they're going to have to alienate certain viewers in order to do it because mm -hmm. we're i feel like at this point we're past the point where we're saying that the LGBTQ plus characters should simply exist on these shows because we have them existing. What we don't have them in is meaningful stories. We don't have them doing anything significant for the most part. And that's where we need to go. And I also think that we need to get more layered and complex characters because yes. it's a really pretty myth to say that if you make the queer character the nicest, least overtly sexual, most upstanding, most moral character on the show, then the homophobes that 
would turn your show off will be more accepting because that's right. simply not the truth. It's kind of like how soaps always make black characters doctors or cops. So it's like, more you know, palatable. exactly. <laughs> and I feel like that's all that we've seen. Um, you know, bouncing off what Dylan said, I wanted to throw this to Bren. Do you think that the current level of LGBTQ plus representation that we have, do you think that this is just about as much as middle America can take? Because as we've spoken about on, you know, this podcast and numerous other discussions that we've had, just between the, the few of us on this call, you know, we, the, the main you know, meat and potatoes of the, the soap opera audience is still, you know, that conservative middle American, you know, white middle-aged woman. And do, do you think that she can't handle more? Do you think that this is her, this is the most that she can deal with? I mean, frankly, I don't care if she can handle more. Um, I'm more Period. concerned with the grandbaby that's sitting on the sofa next to her that needs to see joyful mm -hmm. queer representation on TV. And I think we have placated the homophobes for far too long. And I wanna see more of the plus. We have a lot of That's male gay characters. We have a lot of um, women who end up being bisexual because pretty much every female, female, coupling has a man come in between them at some point in some way um, but they don't necessarily let those characters be bisexual like you don't have uh you know them dating a man and then dating a woman and then dating a man it's basically right. you know they're dating men and then they're supposed to date women and then they slip up with the man but then they make up with the woman again we don't have I want to see a non-binary mm -hmm. person. I want to see butch lesbians. I, you know, I, I loved Leo on days. Like I want more flamboyant gay men. We need more people of color. Mm -hmm. There's just so many um, different types of people on that, you know, in, in the, the rainbow, literally, that they just don't utilize, I feel like. Exactly. And soaps used to be the ones pushing the envelope and now we're, you know, it's being left behind mm -hmm. and there's representation elsewhere on TV. Yeah, there's, been, there's been a major, major regression in the amount of, of boundary pushing that the genre used to be comfortable with doing. And I think a lot of that um, also stems from the fact that there's such an insulated art form, right? There's not a lot of writing programs that are seeking new younger writers with different experiences to come in and learn soaps the way that they used to be, right? There used to be like a pathway onto the soap, but you would have to spend years as an intern, as an assistant, and 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 maybe helping with production. Then you get an opportunity to write. Right. But there are plenty of young experienced LGBTQ writers out there who are looking for an opportunity to tell stories featuring characters who look like them or, 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 or giving the opportunity to feature characters who look like them that mm -hmm. they didn't get a chance to when they were younger and those doors are closed. And so you have people who 
think they're woke and think they're doing this great um, tokenism diversity by having a trans character, by having a gay character, by having a lesbian character, right. and thinking that as long as we trot them out and 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 have them say, you know, are the catchphrases and whatever organization we're partnered with at this time, that's okay. But no, it's not. You're not doing enough, and that stems from the the lack of opportunities behind the scenes, the lack of inclusion behind the scenes. Like, yes, there's a lot of LGBTQ people who work on these shows, but are you given that opportunity to put yourself in writing? And you're not. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. And, you know, I just wanted to, to kind of wrap up this little opening section before we break into like a more uh, you know, open discussion where, you know, everyone definitely feel free to chime in when you see fit. But I wanted to throw this last question back to Rodrigo just to, to sort of wrap this up. So within this article on, you know, daytime dramas and LGBTQ characters, they continually use the word pioneer and sort of like trailblazing. From the things that you've seen, just Anecdotally, we'll definitely be, you know, breaking down further examples as we get more into the discussion. But just from the things that you've seen in your years of soap watching, would you say that the representation that you saw was trailblazing or pioneering? Or was it more so just like, here's a gay, here's a gay, and that's what you get? Well, I've been watching shows for years, and every time they did a gay storyline, it felt very ABC after school special to me. Like it's okay, we're gonna trot them out, learn something, and then we'll just put them back in the background and we just forget about them. And it kind of changed for me when they did Bianca's lesbian story, her coming out story, that they were actually using a main character that was actually gonna be featured in mm -hmm. stories and uh, we got to see the, her wedding and all that. And then it moved forward to the next big thing for me was Maya's transgender storyline. Um, just because at first I thought it was going to be used for shock value. And then it didn't turn out that way. It turned into a beautiful, poignant story that brought in a new Black family. And... And it went away. So I would say those two were pioneering, but mm -hmm. the others, like you had your Will and Sonny and and whatnot, but to me that <laughs> wasn't that's not pioneering. Just, just whatnot. Yeah, and whatnot. <laughs> I mean that's not pioneering to me. I mean, I mean it was great to see a, a first gay male uh wedding, but I'm like, mm -hmm. okay. What else are you gonna do with them? Like, you know what I mean? So <laughs> exactly. like they're just being used to like put this message out there. And if these if you never watched soap operas and you read that article, you would think we are doing the daytime community <laughs> is doing the biggest exactly service to the gay community, and it is not. Yeah. Uh, in 2020, like for example, Pose was the biggest show on primetime. Mm -hmm. I had all, mostly all trans, ca uh, trans cast, the first in TV history to have something like that. Black queer men. Uh, General Hospital, you have a trans character 
why didn't you just ride the wave of what Pose was doing? Like, you could have been doing pioneering things yourself. Right. But you just chose to just use this poor actress and these PSAs, like you're doing something with her when you're not. I guess she's about to get a storyline because follow her on Twitter and something's growing. But she's but, been on the show in the background for how long? You for know? how long? And now you want to like say, oh yeah, we have this thing we can be pioneering. But it's like, no, like the article was just like, you know, it's a fluff piece for Pride Month. And like, I was just, okay, cool. You want to put yourself out there, but we we fans, we know the truth. We're <laughs> so fans. We know what's going on. And that's why we're having this discussion. Exactly. We, yeah. we know the truth. Right. And... You know, I want to pose this question to everyone. So, you know, definitely feel free to chime in. But, you know, just kind of piggybacking off of what Rodrigo was just talking about just now, you know, with Bianca, what were some of your favorite LGBTQ plus stories on soap operas? Like what has worked for you? Like what aspects, what characters, what sorts of things like that? Just historically. Okay, this is probably going to sound terrible. <laughs> but I feel- We're ready. So many <laughs> of the stories that have been told have been about us, but for them. You know what I mean? Mm, good point. So it's like daytime audience, like Flyover Fern and What About the Children, Wally. They want their rainbow children to be these fine, moral, upstanding characters. And that's that's not what entertains me. So it's like, give me Chad on the down low, having an affair with Vincent. Please. Whitney. That's what yeah. entertains me. Mm. That's what I like. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, but then Vincent was so problematic. Yeah. And then it descended into that. Right. <laughs> it, it, it went off the rails. But like the beginning of that, like all it, it was like, right. give, give, me, give them the same mess that you give your straight characters. Please. And but, but you know, but what I do want to know, but sorry, before I didn't mean to cut anyone off, but did you have anything that you did like, Dylan? I love Leo <laughs> on days. Like, okay. I bring him back. I, I want him back. I liked Reed on As the World Turns. Oh, wow. Okay. Forgot about Reed. Like, I liked Brad on General Hospital. Like, I, I like. You like the mess. I like gray characters. Yes. <laughs> He's a morally gray character, and I'm probably going to stand. I feel that. I have to say a lot, you know, the a lot of great work goes into the initial coming out, right? And then the follow-through, the subsequent storylines, the making the LGBTQ characters just as normal and regular as everybody else, that's where they fall short. Will's coming out story, I thought was so great on days, especially considering the writers behind it, who I legally can't talk about. But um, oh, Lord. <laughs> I thought they did such a really great job of of mining the drama and the angst that came from Will coming from a religious conservative family and 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 the reactions to everyone and having Marlena be his biggest cheerleader and and the the, the sensitive way that they didn't do the well, I always knew you were gay. That like, you know, those kinds of things. They took their time. And then the follow-ups 
have just been not as good. Like, why can you not put in the same effort to to um, showcase the lives of a young single gay man, right. of a young single gay couple that you did with the coming out process? And I think it's because they don't think past that. You know, Will coming back with Amnesia and being a big gay slut was a really fun thing to watch. Incredible to right. Interesting. Yes. You know, but they're so locked into these old stereotypical tropes, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, your first love is who you're going to be destined to be with. No, it's not. And then the, let's not even talk about the predatory ways that Sonny Kariakis exhibited during oh, we that storyline. <laughs> you know, um, you know the, the, the different subsets and the different groups, finding your tribe, finding your community, finding out where you belong. There's, there's still, there's journeys and, and Yes. Um, uh, you know, such such wonderful um, characters to see because you have the, I don't really like labels. I'm just into, you know, the person I love who I love. I'm into who I'm into. We have the, pan, you know, the pansexuality being explored. You have bisexuality being explored. You know, Sammy possibly giving birth to Salem's entire LGBTQ yes. Yes. is hilarious <laughs> to me. It's you know? what Lumi like, deserves. It, right. So these are the things that I would love to see more of. And I would love if Ali's brother was there and she was able to talk to him about his experiences. And maybe by seeing the way that his sister is able to be free, it question, it makes him question, Ooh. wow, why am I tied down with a kid and the, and the husband who doesn't work? Um and wear suits all day. Um, it doesn't go anywhere. Like these are these are the things that that you want to see because I'm I'm looking at shows like Love Victor. I'm looking at shows like Pose and Generation on HBO Max and and um, Young Royals on Netflix and and Elite that are fully willing to explore these characters in their lives right. and and showcase them more as just tokens. And I'm just like. Why can't you give me that here? You used to be able to. Right. And I think, you know, what's crazy to me too with that is like, we know we know for sure as soap fans that the ratings do not matter as much as they used to anymore. You know, it's, it's, we, I feel like networks know that certain shows aren't going across certain thresholds for, for a very long time. And, you know, a lot of these shows are just kind of, built to kind of make money in a different way than they used to now. So like, why not just go all out and and explore? And like you said, Ryan, you know, someone's coming out story doesn't end at coming out. You don't come out and then all of a sudden you're like the perfect member of society who fits in with all your straight friends. And, you know, you have a 401k and, you know, you do all these things. There's, there's so many different types of people, but for me too, I, I also agree. I do think a lot of the coming out stories are great. I think what really hooked me back into days at that time was Will's coming out story. But everything else that happened after that was just not my cup of tea. Mm-mm. I didn't like, I mean, piggybacking on Will's coming out. I mean, it's amazing coming out story. Uh, what I liked, what they were starting to do in the beginning is one day we're having Will being, you know, Will's post coming from back from the dead slutty phase. I mean, he had that little slutty phase with Paul when he was sleeping together, when 
the other actor was playing him. What a great time. Uh, and he was just being just slutty. And I was like, I love this. I love that gay characters get to be just as messy as the straight characters, if not even messier. And it's just, you get a taste of it and then they just pull it back. And that's what I can't stand with these writers and these producers. Like they give us such, it's like they tease us with this good stuff. Like when Brad came to General Hospital at first and he was mm-hmm. just wanted to like bang Felix all over the hospital. Just threesomes and everywhere. Yes, threesomes <laughs> with Lucas. And I was like, oh my God, Ron, thank you. Give me all that. And then it just gets pulled back and like, you're like, what happened? Like, what? where's the messiness? Now we're back to being like the, the best friend and uh, the talk to's. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I thought we were going forward. And now we just like going backwards in daytime while primetime progresses, progresses even further right. than we are. And then taking elements of what we did daytime back in the day and just make it even better. And we're just stuck in the past and that's what grades my nerves about especially with with gay characters or uh you know trying to get trans characters on or mm-hmm. you know it's just it's just frustrating i think it really boils down to yeah. what dylan was talking about earlier it's just like i think i think writers and producers think that they're pushing us forward by making you know the lgbtq plus community look like everyone else on the show and by looking like everyone else on the show it means that sometimes like just an old boring married couple and that's not all that we want to see we could have that we could have like the the gay patriarch you know and you know all those sorts of things we have that with will and sunny we exactly which wasn't fun to watch which is why they have not been on the show in years so you know like it's okay to portray those sides of you know, the LGBTQ plus community as promiscuous or conniving or nerdy and, you know, interested in a a hobby or something that might not be so mainstream, those sorts of things. It's totally okay to do because people in the LGBTQ plus community are still people. So they come in all different sorts of types. So it's really frustrating. But just to kind of close out this section, I want to know who is everyone's favorite LGBTQ plus character that has been on soaps. Does anyone have faves? Mine Give me was, one favorite if you can. Mine was Marissa on All My Children. Then they went and killed her. But before Ooh. that, loved her. <laughs> Honestly, I I feel like mine was uh no, I probably shouldn't say it. It's problematic. But it was Vincent. No. <laughs> I think Vincent was so interesting as a character. The actual parts that went off the rails were offensive and would never be on TV or ever written, but the actual complexities of the character and the revenge plot and all of these sorts of things, like that made must-watch TV at a time where soap operas were really starting to die out. And it's like, you could do something like that, have a character that just goes all out with no limits and really shakes up the canvas, and people will love it. That's you know why what I, I mean. Leo, they should have uh, done oh, more with Leo because I love exactly, me, I love me so some much Leo potential. Stark. I loved that character. Just let like, them run free. Like Greg, you are on the wrong show. Like this <laughs> days <laughs> is where, like the fact I felt like 
Greg Ricard was free to just let loose and just create this new character that was just badass and didn't give a flying you know what about what anyone thought and he wanted to sleep with everyone in the town and seduce and I was like I love this and then once again <laughs> it gets pulled back because someone in East Bum in East Bum Tennessee says oh it's too much or like and they fall for it and just let it go but mm-hmm. it, there was so much you could have done with that character and I did I just love that character. Can I just say something? I'm noticing that we're we're saying in the beginning, this storyline was great or this Mm -hmm. character or this pairing. And and that always seems to be the pattern. It starts out promising. It seems like things are going to, to continue on that trajectory. And then the rug gets pulled out from under us every single time. And so, Exactly. And yeah. it, it makes me not want to get invested in new, new pairings. Like right right now, I, I really love Allie and Chanel, but I'm just waiting for the the other shoe to drop. I'm waiting for, you know, uh, Johnny to come in and Chanel to be paired with him. And then they put Allie back with Trip. Like I... I I just, I don't trust that it's going to go well because why would I put my faith in that when they have let us down so many times over and over and over again for decades? Right. I, I, I agree with you on that. It's, it's, it's like, I want to give this my support. I want to, I want to become emotionally invested in the story that's being told, but I can't because I, it, I always say that being a soap viewer, especially nowadays, it's kind of like, being in an abusive relationship. You've got someone who consistently treats you bad and tells you they're gonna do better and they promise it's gonna be different this time. And then they end up repeating the same mistakes and you're just mm-hmm. kind of like, why do I keep going back to you? Because I guess it's that hope that we want it to be good. We want them to be as iconic and groundbreaking and committed to telling the stories that they say they want to, you know? Um, I'll never forget one, when One Life to Live had basically become one big gay soap opera with, you know, Kyle and Fish and, and Dorian and, and the lesbian wedding and everything that was going on. And then it was too much, too much, too much. We have to, ratings are falling. We're, we're going to blame everything on them and then move on. And that's what they did. Was that really, that was yeah. really the reason yes. behind it? I remember yeah. that, Ryan. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they blamed they blamed the quote unquote low ratings on the focus on the LGBTQ storylines. Um, after uh, Trump's election in 2016, you had network executives, you know, approaching the soaps and saying, you know, you have to pivot to appealing to the red states. You have to appeal to the Midwest. And those are the type of stories that we kind of want to see. So you saw what was essentially a little bit of a taming down of, um, you know, progressivism and storylines that was Mm. happening and a real shift to very much stale, geriatric, repetitive, well kind of storylines. And once you start experimenting a little bit with that, you get the same pullback. Oh, why is Leo here? He's too gay. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that we've got to put a stop to that. And it's like, 
stop being so afraid. Yeah. These people aren't watching your shows. There's a whole audience out there of people who would love to watch as long as you gave them something interesting to tune into. Right. You know, you, you want to have water, water cooler talk, right? Shows are known to spike ratings. Shows are known to spike in, in cultural relevance when you're able to tell stories that resonate with people. And our shows are so stagnant and it's mm-hmm. very weird to me considering the amount of gay men that are writing these shows. Exactly my yes. point. Which is definitely going to be my next question was, you know, I firstly I I wasn't a one life to live watcher, so I did not know that history. That is very shocking to me. Who was the head writer at that time? Was it It was Ron. It was Ron. It was Ron, yeah. How interesting. You know, so the the next thing that I wanted to ask was like, you know, we've had so many gay male head writers on so many of these shows. Um, currently we have two. Um, and yet these type of stories that are their everyday life still haven't become normalized. And, you know, I wanna see the market research. I can't under, nothing, I cannot fathom that all the tweets and the letters and the planes that people have flown over studios. I can't imagine that that is louder than, you know, two or three people watching in this town, you know, in in this part of the country and their opinion mattering more than that. Like I can't, for the life of me, I I can't fathom how that works. And we still continue to see, like Brent was talking about, just that bait and switch. So I wanna know, is it because we're only getting these stories through like a white gay cis you know male lens is that kind of why these things are so easily filtered out be real um yes i mean i'll just i'll just tell you right now drop the bomb (laughs) um i don't trust ron colorado to tell a story about any black queer characters um Mm -hmm. because he doesn't have that experience the vernacular oh yes (laughs) he he doesn't have he doesn't have it um there are so many other writers out there and i think ryan had done you pointed this out already that want to give their chance to tell their stories and these writers rooms would open up their doors to new writers who can give them that experience of what the LGBTQI community is going through now, you would be able to find some better and interesting stories being developed. And Ron and I believe, was it Chris Van Otten is the other mm-hmm. writer? I think he's, cur- he's currently at General Hospital. At right? GH. Yes. Yeah. GH has a character called Felix Dubois, who I love the character of Felix. I, love that character and they only trot him out for nursing scenes or to be a talk to when there could be so much to be done with this character but there's no queer writer on that staff there's no black writer who can tell felix's story or you know give some ideas to it so i just telling it from a white cis side i i don't trust it to be done i don't i just that's how i feel that's it's not enough get jamie giddens in there the ratings will go up 
Right. I feel like, and you see it because we see it in certain scenes, when you don't have people in the room to challenge the view that's being put forth or offer an alternative perspective, what makes it to air can often be like a kick in the gut, honestly. It's, yeah. And I think it, it makes me wonder, it's like, is there also like a, like a, a, the network interfering as well? Like what is, like who, who, like where does it really stem from and who is just allowing these things to happen? I feel like I just have so many questions about how behind the scenes works. Um, does anyone have any insight, any, like we know any tips on that? For, we know for sure, historically, there's been network interference like mm -hmm. going all the way back to One Life to Live with the Billy Douglas story. I mean, that was originally supposed to be Joey Buchanan and the network was like, oh no, we can't have the son of a major family, you know, playing that, right. being like, quote unquote, like that. So, you know, they invented his, you know, childhood friend, Billy, and that was the gay character. So it's like, we know that networks will drop the hammer if they feel like, the story is something that's going to offend or upset or, you know, alienate grandma on her life alert. I, I mean, we can look no further than what, and I, I, I'm trying to remember if it was Maria Bell who wanted to do it, but I know that there was a YNR head writer a couple of years ago who wanted to make Noah gay. They had filmed the scenes. Film the scenes, wow. graveside, wow. where he comes out and it was pulled. Didn't happen. <laughs> Wasn't even. Yeah, Noah. Um, Noah Schmidt was not Noah Schmidt. Kevin Schmidt was still playing Noah at the time, and this... that was something that they were supposed to be moving forward with, and it just didn't. Not at all. This Ooh. is the same genre that had Erica Kane having an abortion. So how do we go from? that being okay to air to you can't have a young man coming out because there was more people who were willing to buck the system then i mean you soaps were so the money draws for those networks mm -hmm. oh they were they were sending prime time right you can tell those people i i wonder what a gloria monty would deal with today considering how she reinvented gh in the 80s and sometimes you you can't always go back because when she went back in the 90s it was mm. a disaster right. but you know and sometimes you're able to just blaze that trail and do what you want to do and a lot of times now you don't you there's there's that resistance to it some of it is I definitely think it's self-preservation. Also, another absolutely also think a lot of it is afraid of turning off the audience that you do have. But I'm like, you can't be afraid to tell some of these stories, especially um, when the audience you do have has already shrunken so much. Why not reach out to a new audience? New, as well? That's what I'm saying. There's so many new eyeballs you can get on soap operas. Look at these millennials; they'll watch anything. If but it's good storytelling, if it's good thing, though, story. Like, I'm, I'm raising, like my oldest daughter is 21. My youngest is 18. It took me until Trina showed up on General Hospital to <gasps> get them to actually watch soaps with mm. me because wow. they would look and they would not see anybody who resembled them. None of the stories like 
you know, resonated with them. So they were like, I'm not watching this. And the thing is, these kids are not in the situations that we were in back in the day. They don't have to try to make a meal out of crumbs. Yep. So it's like if you can't give mm -hmm. them meaningful representation and significant stories, they will go to Netflix. They will go to the CW. Yeah. They will go wherever it is they need to go to find to that. Get that fixed. Yep. Mm -hmm. And if the genre wants to survive, they are going to have to be more inclusive and more diverse. And the talent pool is, is out there. Is. The yeah. talent pool is out there, Dylan. When when I think of what Degrassi, the next generation, did, oh, right? They came in, yes. they took this IP that existed in the 80s and modernized it in a way that was such a major part of my teen years. You know, mm -hmm. seeing characters who I identified with, who were going through the same struggles that I were, and they were willing to commit to telling the stories. Mm -hmm. Why not reach out to former writers on, on these former shows? Degrassi, at one point, a couple of years ago, during the summertime, would air soap operas. They would go on a daily soap opera schedule. There was mm -hmm. an episode every single day. You have people who can tell that, who can write the format. Yep. Bring those people in for inspiration, let them come in as consultants, let them come in as people who can contribute these ideas and, and speak up in the room because you need someone to speak up in the room. Janet Mock is a co-creator of Pose, right? Mm -hmm. She was involved in the production. You know, there was a lot of people who didn't, who I know specifically, did <laughs> not want to watch Pose because of Ryan Murphy's attachment. I get right. it, it's problematic. I totally get it. But she has been very open about a point in um, creative during the first season where she spoke up about the influence of the non-LGBTQ cis characters that were white characters that were getting ready to take focus of, of everything. Right. And she's like, this is not their show. This mm -hmm. is not a show for them. This is a show about us and our stories and what we're going through. And we have to be more than just doom and gloom. We have to be, a, we, we can show that, yes, but we also have to give people inspiration. We have to show the fight. And Ryan Murphy realized that he needed to cede control to her because his version, even as a gay white male, he's still a white male, seeing right. things from his perspective. Yeah. And even as a gay white male, he's still a majority. He still has a privilege that he's able to look at things from that you couldn't do as a black trans woman. Yeah. And Janet speaking up about that and getting able to, to fight for that change makes me think about the writing rooms that we have on our soaps right now that are very white, that are very old, that are very stagnant and- Very male-led. Yeah. Male-led. Very male-led. Oh my God, yes. But you have to be willing to try. And right. our soap press is not going to challenge the status quo. Michael Logan was the very last one who had the cojones to do it. Mm -hmm. and, and it got to the point where, you know, it's when there's not an there's not an audience for you. No, there is. We want it. We like 
when Michael Logan called Brad Bell out on the problematic <laughs> Caroline storyline. What a time. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have oh. tried for years oh, to, Logan. Oh. to push those stories with the soap journalists. Um, and every time I'm shot down. Yeah, there's I, there's there's very much a control element, and I have no problem shining the light on it. Uh, at, at this point, I don't as care. we know. Yeah. Um, you know, when you a lot of times when you're doing interviews with either the actors or the producers, the writers, PR is right there on the phone with you. And if you ask anything that goes beyond the pale, they will end that shit right away, and they'll and blacklist they, you. And they will do that too. They don't want you to ruffle any feathers. And a lot of times, if they're not there to keep the people on track, they will talk about things that they're quote unquote not supposed to and end up creating controversy. And then when you have outlets that do speak out and shine lights on things that um, the audience may not know, whether it's because an actress is being lowballed because she's black and popular and they don't want to pay her or if an, a, a, an actor is feeling like he's being forced out of the show because he's gay or if you have another person who's being forced out because of politics and you try to shine a light on that you're now deemed the bad person because you're making the industry look bad and we can't have that so now you have to go in a corner now you have to go in a timeout whereas the prime time press doesn't really have to deal with that because right. those shows need them not the other way around. Right. Exactly. And because you don't have a dedicated journalism team to handle the soaps, to push the boundaries, to try to, you know, bring up the problematic elements of storytelling or the lack of diversity behind the scenes or creative or in production, they're able to kind of continue to operate the same way that they have been under the radar. And the genre suffers because of it. Yeah. And I, I think you know, going back to what you were talking about just now with Soap Press, I think I definitely want to applaud, especially, you know, many people on this call, just like always being so outspoken about these things. Um, I don't think, I don't think anyone on this call has ever minced their words about, you know, their concerns with the soap opera industry. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard Ryan and I on, you know, numerous podcasts also doing the same thing. So it's like, I, I, I love that, you know, even though we see that the people who have, you know, technically more power in this industry and who have a little more say than us, I love that we are still the ones who are challenging them. You know, it's tiresome. And as as Bren brought up, you know, it's, it's a bait and switch. You know, we constantly don't get anything from it, constantly. But people still continue to do it. And I think that is, that's the most important thing because it, it, I feel like it really just builds out like a good community feel, you know? I love that. I love that, our, our community. Sorry I to do interrupt. Love that. I just had to get mushy. I, but at the same time, <laughs> it's also sad when a lot of those um, publicists, a lot of those um, editors, um, they are part of our community as well, but they are stuck. They, they know that they have to stay within the mm -hmm. formula. Otherwise, they'll get in trouble They're, you know, they're afraid of, of losing their spot. Um, and. But I think we also have to, you know, even speaking on that, just think about just in comparison to 
the stories that have come from, you know, those major soap press, uh, you know, outlets, you know, the stories and interviews, think about how inconsequential they were to things that were, you know, interviews and, and stories that were written up by, you know, blogs like, like TV Source Magazine and, you know, uh, Daytime Confidential. Just think about how much more information and depth and, and meat we got from those. And it's like, how do the higher ups continue to see these things happening and then still want to close off their industry? I don't understand that. I don't understand the mindset behind any of that. Like, why has that become so normalized? My problem with the daytime industry is like they're just the daytime industries just doesn't want to grow with the times and it, it, just going by whatever their traditional way of doing things, whether it be how they use the soap magazines and the, the publicists. And I'm just like, it's 2021 and we have people watching television. They don't even watch TV. They're not even watching it live anymore. People are going to streaming platforms for their entertainment. And it's just like, they just don't want to grow. And it's that's what's hurting the industry right now. Is it's not getting with the times uh, fast enough. And in the long run, it will hurt it mm-hmm. if they don't get with, get with the times. And... <laughs> I, it's sad to say, and I, you know, I don't mince words on Twitter. Like I, I put out my opinions and sure my, what, what is wrong with it, good or bad. I don't care if I'm following you or not. If you, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. So it's like I love the platform to put out my opinions. Uh, are the executives listening? Mm, probably not, but they should be. Um, they should, right? Yeah, they should be. They should be listening to what the audience wants to see now, especially on Twitter. Like it's, mm-hmm. you see all the ideas, you see what people want to see, and you see what they don't like seeing, and they are very vocal about it. And it's how you want to deal with that. Do you want to listen to what your audience of today, right. the ones that actually matter, not the? I'm sorry, I, I'm not, and I'm not even being ages. I'm just like, why? <laughs> are we continuing to listening to what people who don't even know how to log in to a computer are right. saying? So, like, trust the audience you have now that are you can go on your computer or your phone and see what they like and don't like. So, yeah. I, I don't get it. You know, speaking of what Rodrigo was talking about, listening to your audience on Twitter. I think as we see more of these less sensitive topics, you know, come down the line from head writers that, you know, we would think would have our backs because they're also in our community. I think just seeing the the disparity between the comments and reactions from stories like Lonnie kneeling on her knees before Gabby and oh. you know, begging her for forgiveness, you know, women and especially black women saw the issue with that. But I distinctly remember a lot of gay men also on, you know, soap opera Twitter didn't see the problem. And it was like that underlines the problem of having, you know, people of only one sort of perspective writing the story. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's clearly illustrated right there between the users on Twitter that, you know, people are completely watching it differently and not understanding the subtext and, and everything else behind it because they don't have that experience. And then you also have the, you know, the rampant um, misogyny that also runs with, you know, a, a lot of male 
um, gays, white male gays, um, when it comes to these situations, there's a lot of like misogyny and misogynoir that goes on um, because you can't see things from the other perspective. But that's, again, their own privilege that's coming out. And when you, like, for instance, I, I, I want to bring up something specifically. One of the things um, you had brought up uh, um, a couple of months ago um, in regards to this, um, the, the, the pregnancy storyline YNR was doing with, with Mariah. Um, and you're like, so YNR is going to take uh, a guy who lost his wife, lost his, his pregnant wife, lost his child. And have him decide to go be a sperm donor for a woman who's barely even his friend by disrupting a uh, you know a blossoming LGBTQ relationship. Mm-hmm. And for what reason? Why? You know what I mean? Like it, there was no real point behind it. And I was frustrated from as a viewer that there was not enough of a discussion between the between Mariah and Tessa about what this means for them, what this means for their relationship right. and the, the the sacrifice that Mariah is making. That is something that should have been really discussed because how again you're gonna it's a very selfless act and I respect that. But the the conversation should have been there. What about us? It I like I feel like that's something that would have been on the table if Sharon being married to Ray decides I'm going to carry, I don't know, um, Victor. <laughs> Ray, I'm going to carry Cricket's baby because she wants one. And Ray's just like, yeah, everything's fine. No, he's going to feel some type of way and get a lot of POV, but you didn't get that type of same investment with Tessa and Mariah in that mm-hmm. situation. And I feel like that is, yet again, another another prime situation where you're not able to fully invest in that story because they're not making it as multifaceted as they would a non-LGBTQ couple. It's very true. It's very, very true. And especially since, you know, that couple in particular has a very, very strong fan base behind it. Very strong and very vocal. And I think they would have absolutely eaten up the chance to have more POV and more meaty, you know, substantial story than whatever that mess is. But they never give Tessa a, a point of view. I mean, Ever. she's she's just trotted out. I mean, when they had Mariah cheating, that storyline had so much of potential to play out for months. And they just had her forgive Mariah and then they got back together and then she's totally cool with Mariah having a baby and uh you know they they had a, a scene where Tessa started to propose to Mariah and Mariah stopped her and said that she wanted to wait until Sharon was better and then they would talk more and then they haven't and then now now you have Mariah having Abby's baby. It just, I mean, there was a strong fan base. A lot of them have 
have um, stopped watching because they're just so angry about it. And, it, and that's isn't fair. that the frustrating part of it? Like with everything, it's like you have a great thing going and you've wasted it. You've wasted our investment, everything that we've done, everything that we've put into place because y'all don't know how to satisfy the needs and wants of your audience. And I don't understand it for the life of me. I, I really, I really don't. The only explanation for it just has to be that whoever is in charge just doesn't want it. You know, I feel like that's what it boils down to because there's there's just no way soap opera fans are some of the most dedicated people and vocal people and people who also understand their genre. There's plenty of people on soap opera Twitter that you could probably pluck right from, you know, their timeline and create probably a really great story. There's so many great creative minds and and people that could really add, you know, and benefit to the writer's room, but they just don't tap into it ever. Um, there you know, are so many ideas for Tessa all the time there are so many fans hand feeding them storylines and yeah they don't use them and it's very frustrating because you again you can see you know everybody's like oh well you know I i've got ideas i can do this you know it's not that hard no one none of us are saying that writing is is easy we know that telling a daily soap opera you know, to over 220 something episodes a year is difficult. Um, but when you have people who are able to conceptualize better ideas than what people who are professionals are able to do, it makes you wonder, you know, why can't you do the same thing? And I, you know, I never want to like talk down to those people or make them feel bad because there are a lot of people who do feel like I can do better. Um, and maybe they can, but I just wish that there was, I wish that there was a, a platform where they were able to have the, the same type of conversations that we're having right now. I wish that there was the opportunity to have them with, with the soap creatives. Well, you know, they do all of these, you know, I'm going like to focus group. Yeah, like I'm gonna participate in, in this show platform and I'm gonna do this and it's gonna be great, but you're not asking the questions that people wanna hear. You're not discussing mm -hmm. the things that people want, you know, do that. They used and to have they, focus groups. Well, there's, no, there's not very much monetary investment into those things with soaps anymore, I think. I think part of it too is you have to be willing to put your ego aside a little bit and take mm -hmm. in the feedback that you're getting. Cause like to go back to the Lonnie and Gabby scene, a lot of that comes down to just not understanding that yes, this genre is way more inclusive than that, you know, old school moniker of the quote unquote women's genre would have you believe, but it is still primarily a largely female viewing audience. Women, generally speaking, do not like to see other women demeaned and degraded. Right. And when women saw that scene, even putting aside the racial components, putting everything, putting everything else that was going on aside from that, it felt dehumanizing. 
And they did not like that. And they voiced that. And now you fast forward a few weeks ago, like two, three weeks ago, we had that exact same scene pretty much with Quinn and Paris on the Bold and the Beautiful. And women were like, this is disgusting. Like they don't listen to their audience. And it's like at a certain point, you have to be able to take in the critiques that you're getting. Yep. And 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 be willing to be like, you know what, maybe there's a point, maybe I could handle this better. But there is a lot of sensitivity um, in regards to the criticism of how things are written. And oh. instead of, you know, I know many of us have caught a block from a writer or two or a producer <laughs> oh, or two. Speak for <laughs> yourself. Okay. Speak, speak on it, I, Ryan. I have not been blocked um, yet by, by everyone's favorite Twitter uncle, but oh. I, I've, I've come close, you know, yeah. because I, it's like, hey, that's really problematic. And you're not really understanding why people are not okay with that. Right. You know, and it, it, it brings us back to if there had been someone in the room to say, hey, that's not that's not a good thing to do. Don't touch a black woman's hair. Right. You know, mm-hmm. don't make comments like that. That's not okay. You know, and it's it's you going to, you know, to talk about a, a show that, you know, that Ryan and I have spoken so much about and that we love, you know, with with Hollyoaks. It's interesting because there were so many things that we would talk about on a podcast or on Twitter, and then we would see them, you know, pop up in the show a little bit down the line or like, you know, little things like that. And you also see the show engaging with their audience on Twitter in in many different ways and, you know, retweeting fan edits and videos and, and live tweeting with them. And it's like, where is that level of engagement? Like the, what are the tweets that we get on, you know, on the other accounts, you know, tagging wrong, actors and in the tweets and <laughs> all these sorts of things it's like there's just no right there's no actual care because it just it just boils down and shows you that they're not present and they're not willing to listen and understand and hear out the audience because they're right there tweeting at them you can't tell me that you're not getting that notification Corey, i'd like to pick, piggyback on that like i was wouldn't it be amazing if like once in a while the writers or producers would invite some fans over like through Zoom or Teams yes. after a show to like get their perspective of what they liked, what they didn't like, what was problematic or what, you know, hey, just to get Y'all don't have honest, to fly us out, no, just send us right, a Zoom link. I, I could do it right in my living room, I'm right here. <laughs> I can let you know what I felt about an episode of General Hospital and I will let Chris and Dan, Dan and Chris, I will let them know what they're doing good with the black characters or with the gay characters or what they need to change and, and be very respectful at the same time. I think these writers think that we're just a bunch of rabid ass fans that just scream <laughs> and yell what we want, but we do have a brain. We are intelligent. We can, mm-hmm. uh, you know, conceptualize, like Ryan said, like what we want to see on our shows. Right. So it's like, not like that. So, but it would be in a perfect world. And like you're saying about uh, about Hollyoaks, it sounds like you know, it, you know, they interact with their fans and they care what they think and maybe get some ideas to bring yeah. to the table. So it's like, okay, you get an idea from me, I'm not gonna like sue you for my ideas. I mean, it's something like someone else probably thought as well. So it's just like, 
I don't know, be, be more open to your audience. And yeah. And speaking start, of that show, yeah. Hollyoaks does writing workshops and focus groups, yes. even, you know, when they're creating new characters. And, you know, if this character has, you know, MS or something, you know, they will do, they will consult a group of people, real life people who have MS and, and learn the, intri- and the, you know, the, the little things in between, you know, what makes their MS diagnosis different from the next person. Those things are just so lost on us that it just, it really makes me sad. Granted, Hollyoaks isn't in the best position right now. I'm not really enjoying the show, but when I was, mm-hmm. I was enjoying it. And that was because I saw things that reflected my life and my friends' lives and, you know, people that I knew and knew of. It was just, it, it was what a soap opera should be. And they're not afraid to have those conversations. I mean, one of my favorite things about what they've done in the last year um, was they um, were experiencing issues with, um, you know, um, racial aggressions on set um, after they had been telling you know, really great um, storylines about um, racial aggression and whatnot. And they realized that despite the work that they were doing on, you know, on screen, they had a couple of problems behind the scenes. And not only did they work to actively fix those problems, but then they invited those actors, those producers, those crew people to speak on the very issues that they have encountered either on the show or just in their regular life and talking about the ways that, you know, they have been, mm-hmm. um, you know, dealing with micro, micro and macro aggressions, the ways that they have had to, you know, be uncomfortable in spaces with people who, you know, did not have consideration for them and what they have to, to go through. And it's like, wow, I would love that. Imagine how that would have been, you know, done at General Hospital when you have a race, you know, racism denier on mm. your cast yeah. who tells you that your experiences aren't valid because <laughs> racism doesn't exist. We're not a racist country. And it's like, okay, you know, this is out there. You're not addressing it. You're, you're choosing to just sweep it under the rug. The press isn't covering it. They're not doing anything about it. And it's like, what? That was an opportunity to address your audience, to address your cast, your crew, everyone. And instead you turned a blind eye to it because it's easier to just kind of sweep it under the rug. These are the things that I wish that our soaps would be courageous enough to do um, where you would, uh, you know, have your staff writers who get to have input on certain storylines talking about, um, you know, what they contributed and why they felt it was important to revisit this type of story. When you, you know, talk about, um, you know, back in the day, that used to be something that was done regularly. Yeah. You know, Michelle Valjean had direct input in the Elizabeth Reber rape, rape storyline um, and was able to talk about her own um, traumatic experience and, and use that to try to educate the audience on what it is that women go through. These and I things think, aren't happening anymore. I think you just said the magic word. I think what's been lost on these shows is the the fact that you can entertain and also educate. It doesn't have to just be constant, you know, 
everything that we're used to that that'll keep us interested. It's okay to to you know throw hard hitting things at us. People need to see these things and need to understand them. And it's okay if you can't do it well either. And you need to ask for help and you need to to seek guidance. We'd much rather it be done well um, than not be done at all. You know. Um, so do what you have to do. Soap execs, whoever is out there in charge and making these decisions, but like, listen to your audience. We are tweeting. We are not on Facebook. We're not on Facebook. Don't. We're not don't, on Facebook. Don't listen to those people. Uh, 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 <laughs> don't listen to those people. Hell no. Stay on. No, stay on that's stay on the bad Twitter. Yeah, don't do that. Don't go to the message boards. Twitter is where you could probably find some really substantial things to learn from, and you know, bring your show into the 21st century. Um, so I kind of, this will be the fun part, the next segment. I really, this is really going to be, <laughs> I feel like this is going to be my favorite part of this whole episode. Just oh, because I just, I just want to, I just, I, I just want to hear everyone's opinion. So, you know, we talked about it a little bit, like the fandoms behind a lot of the LGBTQ plus pairings garner some of like the most strongest and vocal fan bases, like <laughs> people who, you know, make videos and, and, and screen caps and do daily recaps, watch every day without fail. You know, some of the people who are just so gung ho about that couple. But my hot take is like, are all of these people really deserving of, of this support? Or do you think a lot of it is just because they're they're excited to see someone who looks like them on TV? What do, what do you guys think? Do you think that they, like a lot of these couples, especially on this Entertainment Weekly list, were great, as great as they, as they think they are? No. <sighs> Period. No. I mean, no, but <laughs> like, I don't think that, that they're always, quote, I don't know if deserving is, I know what you mean. I know it did sound kind of harsh, I'm not like, deserving. Yeah, like I don't know if deserving is really the right word, but there's like a lot of straight ships that I don't see it for either. So it's mm -hmm. like, but their fans are rabid. Like they will. <laughs> I Listen, I get it. I think that's just fandom in general but yeah. i also i i do think that there is an element of listen if we if we don't support them then nobody else will and we're not very much so right yeah i i very much so agree with that i understand the passion of shipping i mean it's fun to do it i used to do it in the 90s um Today, but not in the two thousand. No, it's not cute. <laughs> it's not. It's, sometimes it's not cute. I see some good <laughs> ships, and I see some these shipping wars, and like I'm just like, right. y'all have time to do doing all this? I just, that I makes just me. Like, that makes me wonder. I, just to add another question on top of this layer, too, on top of this, uh, like, are you all like ship watchers, or do you watch a soap because you want to watch a soap opera for all the other characters as well? Like answer, answer, you know. So, are all of the gay couple yeah, like, couples, you know, great or and on top of that, the soap I'd opera say, watching. Okay. Oh God, I'm about to get in trouble. Okay, say it, just say it. <laughs> Back in the day, I was definitely like a hardcore shipper, but back in the day, we had good 
couples, we had romance, we had good love stories. Say it. And yeah. I'm just going to be honest. Like, I look at the majority of the pairings that we have on all four shows, because I watch all four shows and I look at the majority of the pairings and it's boo, Wendy Testerberger, boo. I don't like, I don't like most of them. I just, they don't do any, they're mid. They're either mid or I don't like them. So like I generally watching for characters and plot and like family dynamics. So yeah. that's same, where I am now. same here. I don't watch just for I mean, I, I come across a lot of these fans on Twitter that just watch for that couple. And I'm just like, that's so boring. Like, why do you watch just for one couple when there's an array of mm -hmm. different characters on that same damn show? that are just as interesting than your couple, and you're just choosing to just ignore the rest of the show and just focus on that one couple. Uh, I, I don't say, I've been watching since the 90s too. I was shipping the hell out of Sonny and Brenda. Like you couldn't tell me that that couple wasn't the best couple in the world, but it was such, it was so much fun back then. And you know, there weren't, we weren't like going back and forth on each other so nasty back then. and. Uh, now it's just like, if you don't like this couple, then F you and get off my timeline and don't say anything else. And it's not as fun as it used to. That's why I just can't stand it. <laughs> I can't stand it. And I kind of like make fun of it sometimes. Like I go along with it, <laughs> yeah. but I don't really mean, I don't even like take it really seriously anymore. But it's, it's, la it's, lo you know, it's losses, lo you know, it's the, Stan culture made it right. into yeah. like, soap Thank circles. You. That's what it Thank is. You. It's really People Amen. have made their ship. Like they're, I, I'm, just, I'm in so much trouble. Um, but people have <laughs> made their ship, like their whole personality on their on their timeline. And yeah, that is that is uh, unfortunate. It's kind especially when you consider the fact that look, let's just call a thing a thing. Soap viewers are closer to retirement than they are to college. Mm -hmm. like, wait a what? minute. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? No, We're just gonna call a thing a thing. It is what it is. <laughs> at our collective big age, right. so much of this toxicity should not exist. Right. Right. Agreed. One hundred percent. And I also think 100%. it's weird, you know, we just talked for, you know, nearly or, or over an hour about how these couples and characters don't really give us anything substantial. So I've just never understood the fervor for characters who are bland a lot of times and whose love stories, like you guys have said, are bland in comparison to things that we grew up with and loved and, you know, felt actual emotion for. I truly can't say that there's been many couples that I felt actual emotional attachment to. I, I was just tweeting I was just tweeting today, just making fun of how like, for example, Frank Valentini is blowing up every ship on General Hospital and just switching these couples up and just pissing off so many fans. <laughs> All these ships online. I'm just like, well that's actually a good thing. I mean, let's actually get in conversations and, and like, mm -hmm. it's not going to be the same Blanche stuff anymore. And that ship has sailed. Like, I don't want to watch the leather twins from 20 years ago, like, dominate again. <laughs> like, it's not, 
it's it's old. We want to see something new. Even the actors want to see something new. Like, come on. Like, sometimes you have to let some of that ship go. No pun intended. But Oof, like, it's just great. you just have to let it go and just let it be. And it's so much more fun to watch. Like, yeah. In my opinion, GH is a fun show to watch again for me, along with mm-hmm. Days, because they're just mixing up so many couples and like it's not the same old same old anymore. And that's what you need, but yeah, that, that's yeah. It's we just had to do better with this ship and stuff. It's not. It doesn't help your ratings. Suffice to say, for some ships that think their ship that their couples drives the ratings to go up one week and then the next week right. it's like bad. I'm like, come on, stop, stop. That's that. what they used. That's what they used to say about Will and Sunny. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah. think we are doing just fine without them. Just and, you know, <laughs> you know, one of the, the the frustrating things about all of this, and, you know, y'all had mentioned before, you know, people who kind of only watch for their, their ship. I used to be one of those people who kind of was like, why would you do this? Whatever, whatever. However, I have sort of taken on the belief of if that's what's hooking you, if that's what's luring you in, if that's what's keeping you around, by all means, do that because that's how you're getting your enjoyment, you know? Um, but don't be mad and try to police how other people get their enjoyment from, from these shows. Everybody doesn't have to believe or like the same things as you. And if they do happen to have a differing opinion, respect that, you know, just like we respect your right to be a single shipper, you know? Right. Um, do what you do, but do it respectfully. Right. And there's a lot of that 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 is missing. There's a lot of tribalism, unfortunately, that is going on with our with our soap community right now. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, not not wanting to concede that other people have different opinions, and not wanting to accept the lack of um, monotheism in the fandom, you know, it's like, oh, this was great. Then I think it was great. Everybody has to think it was great. No, it, it wasn't that great. It was not that great. Um, it could be better. But no, 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 we're not allowed to think that. We have to think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's unfortunate because, you know, Corian and I, we, Corian mocks me all the time for some of my bad tastes and I mock him too, but we're still friends. You know what I mean? We have different differences of opinion. I happen to think that, um, three-time daytime Emmy-winning actor Chandler Massey is the best thing since sliced bread. He mm. does it. You know what? We're still friends. We both hate Sunny. You know? Like, yeah. Things bring people us. together. <laughs> so it's just, I wish I, I missed that camaraderie that used to be there in the early days of Stoke Twitter. You know, and it's crazy to me that when we had seven, eight shows that we were more okay with each other than we are now with only four. And I don't understand that. I really don't understand that concept. I think a lot of it is fear. People are afraid that they are going to lose their favorite. So somehow that turns itself into them bullying other people for who, you know, they ship. But I, I, I don't watch specifically for ships, but I do still ship certain couples. But I also know that there's no such thing as end game in soaps 
and people throw that word around. But <laughs> right, that's such a right. good point. Yeah, that I never thought about super couple around. Nobody in twenty twenty one is a super couple unless there. It's like John and Marlena because they were a super couple from back in the day, back in the era when we actually had those. Like yeah, nobody that term doesn't exist. Couple. And yeah, so yeah. endgame doesn't make sense. Like your show is canceled. Right. These shows right. Go exactly. On if if you're wishing endgame, then you want your show to be canceled. <laughs> That's true. You want to cancel, you want them written about like what do you want? Like, you gotta make a choice. Like, I don't know. And they're they're daytime dramas, not daytime watch your favorite couple sit on the couch and watch Dateline. And be happy, be happy, and raise kids. Like I'm like, okay. Y'all can go downstairs and go see right. your parents do that. Or if you right. want to watch love scenes, you can go on any website and see whatever kind of love scene you want to see. You know, that's really that's a really interesting point. I'm really glad we got. To, I knew this was gonna be my favorite part because it's it's just so the intricacies of of soap opera Twitter are always the most fascinating to me because. Sometimes I dive in, sometimes I like to just hang out on the peripheral and watch and it's always it's always fascinating. <laughs> so to close uh to well near the close, I kind of want to play a fun game with everyone. Going back to ships. I know, you know, some of us on the call aren't big shippers, but some of these are some of our favorites. So I want to do an LGBTQ+ couple speed round. So what uh, I'm going to give out some couple names and I want either, you know, all of you to tell me either if you like the couple or don't like the couple and give me two reasons why. No need to dive too deeply into it. Just give me, this is a speed round. So I just want to hear two quick reasons why, little little explanation, state your little case, and then we'll move on. With, we can also fight too if we want to. That's oh totally God, this, don't we're going to get flamed. <laughs> Started off with... Will and Sunny. Thoughts on Will and Sunny from Days of Our Lives? Um, boring and um, old-fashioned. <laughs> uh, mine are creepy and boring. Uh, just mayo and mayonnaise. Uh, it was just... Not you know, mayonnaise! It's just like, I couldn't... No. <laughs> Not mayo and mayonnaise. I'm sorry. That took me out. Uh, they were I like I liked them at first, and now I'm just I don't mind not seeing them. It's like <laughs> when I think about them, I think old married couple, and that should not be what comes to mind. Right? Are they even thirty yet? Right? No, just <sighs> Sunny and those chest hairs, and like, <laughs> like uh, and the suits it, with no job. And will <laughs> in what world no, would you no. would you choose? A sunny over a damn hot ass Paul. Like I just, uh, it had so much potential. Ugh, okay. I, yeah, I think also loss of potential. Lost. Not lack of potential because I think it could still be there for the certain characters, but definitely loss of potential. A lot of that momentum has just stagnated. That's why they aren't on the show anymore. You know. Yes, we definitely need to recast Sunny. When you have less heat than your grandparents. You need to go. There it is. Yeah, that's 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 another great point for Will and Sunny. And sorry, Dylan, what did you say? I think you got cut off. No, I was just saying like there there was no plan for them past put them together. Exactly. That was yep. it. 
that was it. Just put them together. Like, okay, they, now what? They definitely need to recast um, one or both of those roles. And I just happen to think that Michael Mueller would make an amazing um, hot version of Sunny. Um, hot or a hot will. Michael Mueller? Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. What? This, this isn't what this isn't what this podcast is about. Oh, <laughs> we are we are definitely going to continue this conversation after taping, sir. Sure. No, fine. <laughs> Prove me wrong. Moving on to the uh, moving on to the next couple, we have Mariah and Tessa from Young and the Restless. Go. Okay. Um. Unexpectedly enjoyable. That's one. And. Deserving of more. So much, so much potential. Could be better. Yeah, I, I like them, but they deserve better. Because like right now they're together to be together and we only see Tessa when they want her to sing a song. It's just, no, it's not. They need a bit, they deserve a better story. For me, it's uh, crickets and NyQuil. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've I, always I'm, been very vocal about that. I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for that. That was funny. But you yeah. know what? That's one of those things where yeah. I initially was very against it. Um, but I came around to them. You know, I, I happen I happen to find the actors very enjoyable, even if their stories are lacking. Absolutely. Um, there's, I don't think there's anyone who can say that those two don't act well and don't act well together. But I just find the characters, for me personally, I find the characters very boring. Yeah, understandable. Um, who's next on the list? Uh, ooh, this was, this was one that was definitely, definitely another hot topic, hot take. Maya and Rick. I'm bold and beautiful. Do you remember the amazing story of Maya coming out as transgender and then the way the slate was just wiped clean like it had never happened and no one ever talked about it ever again. But think about the times when it was good or when they were on the show. Or when they were on the show. Because they're also not on the show anymore, right? No. No, they're not. No. Um, Love. I'm gonna say groundbreaking. Um, ended way too soon. And just on a on a on a side note, I was not a Maya fan at all at first. Um, I had a very I was, a was big anyone. <laughs> well, I was a big Caroline and Rick fan, and I was just completely anti Maya. And it was actually Michelle Valjean who. Um, messaged me and was just like, you know what? Give Maya a chance. Give the story a chance, and I think you'll come around. You know, um, you know. Let me know what you think in six months. And within six months, there had been the reveal. There had been the investing in the character. There had been um, this unve- revealing of layers to this character who I grew to love so much that if I had not taken the time to let them tell the story that they were getting towards, I would have never become a fan of, of the character. So I think that's a prime example of sometimes, 
you know, letting like having your shipper blinders on. Cause I was I was like, screw Maya, I don't like her. Get her off my screen, blah, blah, blah. But no, she turned out to be one of my favorite characters of the show of all time. See, I'm the total opposite. Because I cannot stand Rick. I have only ever shipped okay. him with Amber. And Caroline okay. made him mildly tolerable for me. But I hate him. I hate his existence. I hate everything about <laughs> oh him. Oh, my God. I, oh wanted God. <laughs> I, want, I, I loved Maya, though. That was my girl. I yeah. wanted her to run his pockets and end up with half of everything he owned. That would have been great, The only thing that I liked about them was that it gave me the avance. That Honestly. Amen. Amen. Oh, they're missed. They're so missed. Uh, I was going to say for Rick and... The story, the initial story was brave and classic soap opera mm. for me, just because of how it started and then leading up to the wedding and the actual wedding episode where the Avons just showed the hell out. Um, and that, and then again, they didn't want to do anything with them, and now they're not on the show anymore. and Carla Mosley is is replacing Michelle Morgan for temporarily, and then not, she's right across the hall at Old and Beautiful. And I, I, yeah, so that was brave and classic soap opera, but this could have been so much better. Definitely. In the end, I definitely think "brave" is a is a great word for for the couple, brave for sure. Um, because even telling that story, you know, with, with Maya as a, a black trans woman, you know, I honestly thought they would have done this story with a white woman. Um, you know, that would have been way more, as we've talked about, you know, palatable for a lot of audiences. But I thought that was such a brave decision for them to do that. And it's, I think it's also sad that they are not on the show anymore. And including all the behind the scenes stuff that has happened, and as we know. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Maya and Rick? I think that Carla did a really great job with it, but I think a huge part of the reason why they haven't and shouldn't bring her back is that it needs to, that character needs to be played by a trans actor. Yeah, I. I take a lot of heat sometimes because I, mm. I feel like they get entirely too much credit for having a cis woman playing a trans character. Great point. When there was absolutely mm. no reason why they couldn't have told that story with Nicole. They could have cast a trans actress of color to play Maya's sister. To They could have brought Nicole in. She could have had that romance with Zenday. They could have told that exact same story. Literally. With mm, that's a good point. Wow. I didn't I never thought of it that way. But yeah. do you think but do we think that CBS is actually that that woke, Bren? Do you really think that CBS is, is actually holding out for, you know, to recast with a trans actress? Because from what we've seen from CBS, I don't I don't know. think they're holding out. I just think that's why it hasn't gone any further and won't. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. It's probably the last yeah. time we'll see of yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're in a new world right now. And, like, yeah, that's 
It could have worked. That worked in 2015, but not in 2021. So yeah. yeah. All right. So next couple we have. I wasn't an AMC watcher, so I can't speak on this. But Bianca and Reese were also a couple that were very popular for a lot of people. How do we feel about this? If you want to talk about groundbreaking, I think this was the first queer text divorce. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh my God. They're just like everyone else. <laughs> um, text divorce. This is also where we got the term um, uncle daddy. Yes. Because their child was um, Zach's hired by... Yeah. Yeah, by their brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Bianca and Reese. Great concept. <laughs> okay, okay. Poorly executed. Mm, perfectly said. I, it, it was yeah. very... That, that story was very insulting, and I don't like using oh it's an insult but it was insulting um because reese came on to the show as a lesbian and then they walked back her lesbian identity to say that she was she's more bisexual and it felt like a misrepresentation of what she put forth to bianca it was the misrepresentation of the of what the, they had been telling the press because they did it as a way to have Reese and and Zach have a thing to come between Kendall and Zach, and that bothered me because I thought it was a big bait and switch to the audience when they, when they needed. You could have cast a bisexual character from the beginning to come in and play that and be that role. Instead, you got all this positive press for the lesbian wedding and everything else, only to turn around and say, well, she's bisexual. And this is why she has an interest in her wife's brother-in-law. I was really upset by it. The whole, it was, it was like the word that I have here is distasteful. Like it yes. was, very that. And I felt so bad because I loved both of these actresses so much. And I wanted to love this pairing. And eh, the story was just so bad. It was just so bad. So bad. And then they tried to throw Eden under the Everything about this story was bad. <laughs> everything surrounding it was bad. Oh, I'm getting PTSD from that time. time oh no! All my children. That was just. Well, let let me let me bring you let me bring you a little more PTSD then because this is another show I didn't watch, so I I don't I don't know the the whole story behind this. But how does how did everyone feel about Fish and Kyle on One Life to Live? Oh Jesus! Oh, listen, <laughs> I can't tell with these reactions. So here's. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead, Ryan. Um, Go ahead, please. Kyle and Fish were cute for what they were. They should have done it with a legacy character. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I agree with that. They just took a character 
like who was it? it was um fish came mm-hmm. out of nowhere and then they decided to make kyle the brother of i think he was rebecca's brother the one that todd dated after the or something i don't know they try to put it back in history but that didn't work because no one cared about that and yeah it would have been more powerful if you had uh one of the legacy characters coming out and would have been more impactful but for what it was i appreciated it for what it was uh it led to the first gay male gay sex scene on the show uh, mm-hmm. which was you know gro- pretty groundbreaking but after again after that you gave us a little taste and then they just instead of playing the hell out of it they just got scared and you know, kiboshed it and wrote them, wrote them out. So, uh, it, oh, again, that's another moment of like, there's so much promise and then when it was swept under the rug, you're just like, okay, here we go again. So, yeah. Oh, I haven't even thought about that couple in so long. Thank you, Fargo. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, had potential. Has they actually committed to that couple and committed to telling a story with them. I think that that they could have been something really good because like I didn't dislike them. They, you know, the actors worked well together and they were, you know, they were committed to telling stories. It was just Oh, not Another thing I didn't like is, and it's become like a trope in gay storylines, is the man impregnating the girl with the one night stand and having the baby, and like, oh, did that happen here too? Yeah. Oh yep. yes, would stay that awful Stacy Morasco character, and like, Jesus it, it, Lord. It, 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 <laughs> it was the worst, the worst. I'm like, why, guys, why? They do just that. Why? Just, just why? Just why? Every you, time you just had to be there, Corey. You just had to be there. You just I, I can already feel, I can already feel the pain. I was there. I was I tried to ride hard for Will and Sunny, y'all, and then they went and made him go have that that baby with Gabby, and I was like, this is this is weird. But um, <laughs> right. going to another unfortunately defunct show. Or, mm, no, I like the show. Uh, Noah and Luke from As the World Turns. Poor, uh, poor Reed. Boo! <laughs> Noah and Reed, not Noah, Luke and Reed were the superior couple, okay? Uh, Noah and Luke Reed. were boring. They, they predated Will and Sonny. They I have yeah. thought about Reed they were younger so than Will and Sonny. Like, yes. They were like an yeah. end game. Because like, they didn't even have but I get it because, like, they were really swimming against the tide. They were. Like, yeah. they had to fight for everything. So I, I I understand that the stories that they could tell with them were limited. But my God. The way, do you remember the ways that it would just, like, the camera would, like, zoom in and the music would get so intense and, like, they would just touch fingers? Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, yes. or, or you would do the... You would do the um, the, the the kiss with the pan. 
Yeah. And the cutaway. Uh-huh, yeah. Or the shirt would come off and then it would immediately cut to commercial. Right. Like, yeah. The struggle it, was so real. They, <laughs> they did the best that they could under the circumstances, but Luke and Luke and Noah for what they represented, mm. yes, they were boring, but for what they represented, especially for a show that was so conservative as, as the world turns was, yeah, they were, they were, I don't want to use the word iconic, but they were a moment in time. And they were it, a moment. Set, it, it made the other shows, I think, by doing it with Luke, who was, you know, the son of a major legacy character. It made other shows less afraid of of walking that line. Well, I mean, um, what didn't Will came out literally the year after that, didn't he? It was like 2011, right? Around that same yeah, time, 2010, yeah, 2011. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, a couple years right. after that, and and it would not. I do not think that would have happened had it not been the hell as the world turns went through to pursue that story. With, Major um, hell. With 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 uh, Luke Snyder and kudos to Van Hansis for committing one hundred percent to that role. Yes, for committing to continuing mm-hmm. to tell LGBTQ stories. Um, and his show, um, oh my god, I can't remember it, the name of it, but his, his show is actually really good. Um, that that he's been on the last couple of years. Um, I think it's something Ciders, Outsiders, or like that but it's it's really good and he's someone who i always wished would return to soaps um but i think that creative freedom that he has of doing his own thing and being able to tell authentically real lgbtq stories is why he has not come back and not the the 700 club version of an lgbtq story is it east Siders? Yes, is that what it's called? Yes, that's the one. That's such a good East show. Where can yeah. we find East Siders? East Siders, used, I, I, I believe I it was on Amazon Prime. On yeah, it's yeah, available on all the streaming services, yeah. but I know that okay. at one point it was available on, on Netflix, and it's such a good show. And they've had some soap alums pop in there too. So it's it's, it's definitely, definitely okay. great to see. I'll check um, that out. And then, so for our last couple, we have, you know, bringing it back to days with Paul and Will. What did we think about that? I love um, what a I taste love, of heaven. I would love to see it again. Um, repeatedly, um, I would pay for it. Um, <laughs> let me Emma, know. I you'd pay subscribe. for it monthly. Or? I would. I would pay. I would pay for it monthly. I, I would, um, especially if it's um, Christopher Sean and um, Chandler with the fur. I would definitely um, subscribe to that. Um, Guy was great to too. see it. Sure. Moving on. Ah! Ooh. <laughs> And they had so much potential and I I I will forever be resentful that it was cut short. Same. Oh yes. yeah. Yes, I, I agree. That was a prime example of check out what isn't working and just go with what you have. Like how can you like you see the, the unbridled chemistry and passion and reaction mm-hmm. and just 
damn near porn on your screen, and then you right. go with this homogenized mayo and mayonnaise, just plain <laughs> like yogurt. I just it's... if they bring back mayo and yogurt, then they they should bring back Leo and Paul. I was just gonna say, I was gonna Dang. say, actually, I had to I had to make the edit. I was like, I shouldn't say Will and and Paul are the last one. I need to know. How did everyone like Leo Stark has just come up so much during this podcast that I just feel like we just need to we just need to give our, our two thoughts on Leo as well. They Leo should just give a him a web series. The queen. He was this the best, like oh. unapologetic oh, yes. gay as fuck. And he I loved it. He was such a messy, messy, messy stunt queen, and I love him. Yeah. Yep. And it's Great. and it's and it's a prime example when people now, listen, we all knew the tea, okay? That, that That's a separate issue. But it goes to show that, like, Figurgart played a very flamboyant gay character on Days and plays the very opposite of that on YNR by playing, you know, someone who's in a heterosexual relationship with Chloe. Um, and it's, it goes to show his range as an actor. And mm-hmm. I also exactly. have to say the reaction to Leo and and that moment in time so starkly pun intended different than a, earlier in the decade when Felix was introduced and there was assumptions that wow. Felix was going to be flamboyant and X, Y, and Z and there was such a negative reaction to that. That's like, a great point. Yeah. Yeah, time every, really progressed. It really does. But also, you know what? Let me let me not start a whole other discussion because thank you. There's there's too there's, <laughs> right. too, there's, too, there's too much. There's too vastly there's two vastly different things between those characters where I can I also makes me wonder about the reaction that people had towards them. But that's 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 a discussion for another time. Maybe next Pride Month. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you again to an incredible panel who I feel like really brought, you know, so many, so many new ideas and, and new thoughts and in, into my mind and, and ways of uh, ways that I, I never imagined, especially <laughs> bringing up Reed. I haven't thought about Reed on as the world turns in forever. Say but, it um, Noah on those train tracks. They did my boy dirty. See, I knew y'all were my people. Oh Luke and Reed, but well, they were the end. You talk they about Endgame. They were Endgame. Right? <laughs> we really deserved. We really deserved. But you know what? I think just hearing just hearing all the ideas that everyone's brought up, you know, from Rodrigo talking about, you know, writers' workshops and, you know, everyone talking about the great untapped talent within our community, because honestly, has any of us met any gay person, any queer person who isn't a writer? We could write these shows. We could get into these shows. Right. I think all we need is to continue to use our voices and continue to amplify these things that are important to us so people can understand because it's 2021, as we've said all throughout this podcast, we have options. We don't have to sit here waiting for these things. And if people don't wanna listen to us, we can take our eyes elsewhere. And I think Mm -hmm. it's about time that we really, really, really stick to that and let people know that we're serious about these things and these things matter to us and our opinions also matter. So granted, we I am a little late hosting this for Pride Month, but you know what? 
we're proud all year round and I want this discussion to continue all year round. And I'm just really excited to see what stems from this. I think we can really put some good ideas forth and really push some people into doing some things. We just got to keep speaking up. So thanks again for listening to another episode of Soapboxing with Corian, the podcast where we take pressing issues in the soap opera world, break them down, debate, and discuss them with our panel of soap experts. This is another great and important discussion that I hope you continue by using the hashtag SoapboxingPod on social media. Be sure to follow our panel, Ryan at SourceRyan, Bren at RadBren13, Rodrigo at Rodrigo's World 81, Dylan at Dylan underscore St. James with a Y, and also me at NotCorion. Until next time.